turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hi, I'm Jerry Boyer. You're listening to Meaning of Minds podcast. My guest today is the treasurer of the state of Kentucky, Treasurer Allison Ball. Treasurer Ball, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Jerry. It's great to be here. This is something that we're very interested in as people who are listeners and viewers of this podcast understand. We've talked to Marlo Oaks and we've talked to Derek Rifles and others who are uh, involved in the resisting the politicization of finance using your constitutional office and the responsibilities of your constitutional office to, to do that. So let me start off with something that you, you've 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 done some things. We're going to go through some of those things that you've done, and others have. And attorney generals are now starting to do some things uh, to really push back about this. And what I'm seeing from as you sow and the ESG industrial complex is these political officials are politicizing finance. They're bringing politics to finance. What do you say to that? Well, it's it's uh, humorous to hear them say that because it's entirely the opposite. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to return finance to finance. We don't want pension dollars to be used for political reasons, period. We want it to be used as an investment, what it was supposed to be, the old Milton Friedman approach about making sure you're getting good returns. So, you know, there's treasurers of various sides of the aisle we should not be promoting one political output or another political output. It should just be about good investments, good returns. That's it, period. Uh, and it's it's wild to hear people who are pushing ESG say, oh, we're the ones being political because uh, the only people who are trying to push political, political agendas are the folks who are pushing ESG. Yeah. And I mean, just look at the origins of it. It came from a left-wing academic sociologist, the, the kind of the theoretical uh, foundation. Then it went to the United Nations. United Nations Environmental Project commissioned the first study that said environmental social governance in 2005. It came from the United Nations. It did not come from finance departments of university, let alone financial institutions. It came from academic and UN world. And and there's the other thing. If one group, if the liberals say this isn't political and the conservatives say it's political, it's political. <laughs> you know, if the, the uh, I mean, yes, I'm sure you don't want it to, except I can't, I just can't find any conservatives who are pushing ESG and I can only find liberals who are pushing ESG. So saying it's not political, I, I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't pass the smell test in my view. Right. I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, and um, the, the institutions that are pushing it are almost always ideologically committed. Like if you look on these proxies and say, who is Arjuna Capital or what is the such and such education fund? And you go to the website, it's absolutely clear that there's a political agenda. So just own it. Just be honest. Um, it's, it's an attempt to, to impose liberalism using the financial process. Okay, so there are three things that, that you've been involved with directly that I think are very important. I'd just like, like to go through them one by one. One is... Um, Working with the legislature, because this, there's some things that treasurers can do on their own, and there's some things they do with the legislature. Working with the legislature to reform the law so that 
a company which is attacking one of your main industries, fossil fuels, um, will not be eligible for procurement for large contracts with the state because you don't want to help organizations that are trying to hurt your economy. You want to talk about that a little bit, please? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So you're referring to a bill that we got passed last year, and we called it the fossil fuel boycott bill. And just by way of background, Kentucky is a fossil fuel producing state. Uh, you know, we're, we're a coal state. We've been for a long time. We're also an oil and gas state. I'm from eastern Kentucky. I'm from the mountains. I'm from an area that has both coal uh, and oil and gas. So, so these are things that I've always grown up knowing are incredibly important to my state, and they're important to the whole country. So, so economically, we have to have those industries in Kentucky. They are important. They're lifebloods for us. We need them to continue. Even our business is dependent upon it because we've had cheap energy in Kentucky because we've had access to this. So as I've been looking at ESG, and uh, and the E being used, used very strongly to try and eliminate the fossil fuel industry, to try and uh, you know wipe it out of existence. Uh, we push for this bill. Like I said, we call it the fossil fuel boycott bill. And what we've said is, if you are a company who has said that you want to boycott fossil fuels, you, you want to eliminate it, uh, you want to push it out of existence, then we're not going to do business with you in Kentucky. So we're not going to have a state contract with you, and we're also not going to include you in our investments. So we're going to we're going to divest you. We're not going to put you in our portfolio to begin with. You're not going to be uh, a part of what we're doing in Kentucky. If you're going to boycott us, then we're going to boycott you. Hmm. So uh, it, it's it's something that actually had a lot of support in Kentucky because we're a fossil fuel producing state. But I think this is important for other states to know, too, whether you're a fossil fuel producing state or not. This is an important issue. We, we cannot uh, be economically healthy as a country unless we have a strong energy um, source. And right now it's fossil fuels. We can't wipe it out of existence right now. Um, and we're seeing this happen in Germany where they've, they've really pushed to try and eliminate things for a long time. And now, uh, they're looking at not having enough energy or incredibly costly energy. So, so I say this is important in Kentucky. This means something to us. We're a fossil fuel producing state, but it should mean something to everybody. Right. Because, you know, there are also fossil fuel energy consuming states. I mean, we need it as much as you do. Yes, you, <laughs> you do. Know, it's a cold day here in uh, in Pittsburgh. Um, so we, we need some of that those fossil fuels. All right. Um, has that worked? Have you been able to? I assume there are plenty of vendors out there who are willing to say, okay, you might not be using BlackRock or whatever. Um, we, we can do this consulting for you. So have you had trouble um, getting consulting services with this restriction in place? So, you know, I'm a big believer in the free market. And when when there's competition and opening, people will show up and say, hey, I can do this work for you. And we're starting to see more and more of that. I'm very encouraged. This is early days yet in this world. Uh, so so it's going to be interesting to see in the next year you know, who, who rises and falls as a company, given the fact that we're we're now uh, taking strong stances in this. But uh, but. What is encouraging to see is the market is responding. There are organizations that will say, hey, if you don't want to work with them, if they are you know, not supporting Kentucky, we are happy to support Kentucky. Yep. So we're, we're hearing that more and more. Yeah, yeah. Um, someone's going to someone's want, going to get that profit. If they don't want it, yes. right. Same thing with the energy, by the way. And this is the thing that's so confusing about these divestment strategies. And I've seen them on many, many of these um, proxies. None of these proposals are calling for the companies to um, put a cement plug uh, over the oil or, you know, send it off into space or cordon it off. It's always divest, which means they're selling it to somebody. 
So if you're selling oil reserves to the Saudi Arabian industry, I don't understand what we're doing in terms of greenhouse gas emissions because, you know, when they burn it, you still get the greenhouse. That still produces carbon dioxide. It's still oil. So pressuring a United States bank to debank that without actually forbidding the use of fossil fuels, which, of course, would be overly draconian, just transfers ownership. Uh, and yes. deprives us of a profit opportunity and gives some of our opponents profit opportunities. That is a great point. And that's exactly right. Yeah, they're they're not going away. Someone's going to buy them. Right. Someone's going to buy them. And probably somebody who is geopolitically not aligned with us because the Saudis are kind of like in play. The Russians are certainly not geopolitically aligned with us. So, you know, Venezuelan. So maybe, maybe probably not friends, you know? Uh, right. I mean, maybe Canadians, they're a little more friendly. I don't expect a war, <laughs> I don't expect a war with Canada. Um, but uh, so, and maybe somebody where there's less regulation of emissions. So the, along with the greenhouse gas, maybe the other things that are coming out, you know, the sulfuric acid and everything, you know, we get more, we get more acid rain and less profit. And we get no less greenhouse gas, and but we feel like we're pure because yes. we're divested. It's, yes, I think that is exactly right. Yeah, no, there's definitely a virtue signaling element to this. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to show that you know you're you're doing such a great job. Please pat me on the back. Please praise me for what I'm doing. But in reality, you're not really making a difference. In fact, you you actually arguably are making things worse. And it's interesting to see in the past few years a left coalition against ESG emerging, uh, including the former head of ESG for BlackRock, Tariq Fancy, saying it's all greenwashing. You're not changing anything in terms of the environment. It's just a new sales pitch. It's, it's really marketing. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change the chemistry. It doesn't change the climate. Right, which is an interesting move right now because you get these, these true believers who are saying, well, ESG, how do we even know you're doing what you say you're doing? You know, How do we know that you're actually um, supporting the environment the way that you say you are? So uh, yes, it's an interesting world right now where you're getting criticism from both sides. There's another issue that you've worked on, which is um, to, to give people some background, Standard & Poor's, which is a rating agency, among other things, uh, rates bonds, rates municipal bonds, um, gave very high ratings to mortgage-backed securities in 2006, seven, and even into eight. Uh, so didn't exactly cover themselves with glory at that moment, but their job is to say who's credit worthy and who isn't. And they do that with state bonds. States borrow money through the bond market. They're called municipal bonds. Um, and they've been doing that for a long time. We can argue about whether they're good at it or not. I have found them to be more a lagging indicator. But anyway, that was their day job. And they switched over now. And they're using political criteria, including fossil fuels and how you handle riots if you're not like sufficiently gentle when Antifa burns down a city. Uh, that's counted against you. Um, and... There was a letter from you, I think, and 10 or 11 other uh, treasurers uh, saying to Standard & Poor's saying, no, that's not your job. Evaluate our creditworthiness. We don't need to be politically evaluated by you. That's what voters are for. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. In fact, this should actually concern everybody. And it sounds like it's a deep dive, uh, but it's not really. So S&P and the other credit rating agencies, uh, you know, they have always evaluated us based on our economic health as a state, you know, our assets, our liabilities, how are we doing? And Kentucky struggled because we've had pension problems in the past. Our, our pensions are uh, woefully underfunded. We've got a, a lot of unfunded liability in Kentucky. So it's been something that we've worried about. We worry about our credit rating in Kentucky. And we've been doing work for the last few years to try and improve that. Well, recently, S&P has said, hey, we're not going to look 
just at your credit worthiness based on your financial health, we're going to start looking at other things too. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a separate rating. You are going to have your normal rating that you usually have, but you've also got this additional rating that says how you're doing on ESG. Uh, and, and they've said they want to evaluate different things. You've already listed several of them. Uh, but that should worry people because our ability to build a bridge should, shouldn't have anything to do with how many coal companies we have in Kentucky. You know, there are separate and distinct issues and we shouldn't be penalized and say that we're not economically sound as a state because we have coal companies in Eastern Kentucky. Hmm. Uh, and that's where this is going. That's the push It's, it's looking to see, well, uh, you know, you may have done a really good job on your pensions. You fixed your problem. You're economically healthy. You're doing a great job. People should invest in you. Oh, wait, you still have a lot of coal companies. Well, we're going to tell people that you're not you're not uh, credit worthy. You're not reliable. You know, I mean, if they're really concerned about pension plans, maybe what they ought to do is have a demerit for states that use ESG criterion rather than the fiduciary criterion uh, when it comes to pension plans that, that have the sole goal of having properly funded pension plans. So that ought to be a little like a plus sign. Uh, we're not doing ESG, therefore, we'll probably have better return over the long run and a better funded pension plan. Can we get a little gold star? I don't necessarily expect that to happen, but uh, well, you're right though. You're right though because, like, if you start looking at ESG funds, uh, they're typically more expensive than non-ESG funds. You're spending more in fees. I've actually seen numbers as high as forty-three percent higher. Yes, uh, and in the fast past five years. ESG funds have underperformed uh, regular funds. So not only are they higher in fees, but they've actually underperformed. If you start looking at these numbers, they're not good numbers. So, so you're right. If we're going to be really honest about someone's credit worthiness, about how their financial health is, um, ESG should should not it be should count against you prop you up it should I, count against it you. it should count yes. against you right it's a criterion it other you. than a well-funded pension plan um well, we can we'll try we'll try that with standard and boards and see how that works um so it's it's kind of odd i mean their argument there's a couple of problems there's more than a couple of problems but one of them is they're saying that this matters for credit worthiness but you like you say it's a separate score well why is it a separate score if it does matter for credit worthiness, shouldn't it be in your credit score? Should it not always have been in your credit score? If these social factors really do hurt you know, your ability to pay your bondholders, then bake it into the regular stand, you know, standard S&P credit rating. You're a, you go from an AA to a BB plus because of coal. Um, but the thing is, people know that they take those ratings really seriously. And they'd, right. be, they'd, be, they'd be more legally exposed if they started throwing politics in that. So they have to segregate it over here to sort of the sandbox of politics um, and not treat it as a serious risk factor because it isn't. Because it isn't. And that's a great point. No, it's a demerit system. Yeah. And a social credit system, um, which should con definitely should concern us all. Um, all right. So... Standard and Poor did. I I read their answer. It didn't really seem to ring true. But you you sent the letter, and I think that really made a difference uh, in the national debate. Okay, there's a third thing that you did that I want to uh, bring attention to, which is you worked with the Attorney General on the question of fiduciary responsibility versus dual goals like social justice responsibility merged together with good return. Uh, why did you do that, and what happened? 
So I think this is really important for everyone across the country to know about because this this probably applies not just in Kentucky, but everywhere. Uh, in Kentucky, if you are a trustee of a pension system, which I am, I'm a trustee of our teacher's retirement system in Kentucky, and I deal with other investments too in the state. So this is something I think about a lot. And uh, I'm an attorney by background, so I'm always trying to make sure, you know, I'm following the law. As the treasurer of Kentucky, that is my obligation as that, that executive in that area. So I began looking at the fiduciary obligation statutes in Kentucky, and Kentucky is not unusual. We have a sole interest requirement, meaning that you have to invest in the sole interest of the, the beneficiaries of this pension program. So Put it simply, you're supposed to make sure you're getting good returns for these people who are in the pension system so that way they can retire when they want to retire. The money is going to be there when they retire. And this is an obligation that's pretty consistent in every state. It actually may be the same in every state because this is this is very common. It existed at common law. It's been accepted everywhere. It's been across the board. So I began to look at that. And in Kentucky, we also have another another obligation. We also are supposed to invest to um, to to think about our economic health and the industries in Kentucky. So we're supposed to be supporting those as well. Hmm. So about both of those things, I began thinking, I actually don't think it would even be legal in Kentucky as a trustee to support in an ESG plan, because that's not about the sole interest of the beneficiary. And it's definitely not helping the economy of Kentucky. So in Kentucky, the first thing you, you do, if you've got a legal question and you're in state government, is you ask the attorney general for an interpretation of a law. And that's what I did. I uh, asked the question of attorney general Daniel Cameron here in Kentucky. And I said, you know, given this fiduciary obligation, um, would it be illegal for me to invest in ESG plans? And I got a resounding answer that the answer was yes, it would be illegal in Kentucky, given the fiduciary obligation that exists here for you to pursue, you know, politically motivated ESG plans. And, and I love to talk about it because I think it should be a warning bell to everyone across the country. If you are a trustee, there is an excellent chance that if you are dabbling in ESG investments, you may be breaking the law. Uh, so you could be subjecting yourself to shareholder uh, lawsuits. You know, there's a variety of issues that come into play um, because you you very well could be breaking the law. Mm. Yes. And um, the fiduciary standards also apply to ERISA plans. Um, right. So that's 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 federal um, defined qualified pension plans. Um, they apply to a number of financial advisors, you know, and trustees, et cetera, where they have a fiduciary responsibility that that's defined by law. Um, if they're fiduciaries, often being people are members of boards of directors of universities and nonprofits. I mean, people are out there pushing the CSG. This is a, to me, this is a huge legal time bomb for people who are sitting on these boards and they are imposing something other than a fiduciary. Listen, I mean, I, I like polar bears. They seem nice, but you're not supposed to be thinking about polar bears as you sit on the teacher's pension board. You're supposed to be thinking about retired teachers. You have right. one constituency, retired teachers, not the planet, not social justice, not society in general, not homelessness. You can vote that way. You can give, you can volunteer at the soup kitchen, whatever. But in your role running that, retired teachers are your, that's your sole responsibility. Yes, and I think most people believe that that's what we're thinking about when we're investing. They believe that we're thinking about making sure they can retire when the time comes for them, or if they are retired, that the checks are going to keep coming. So I think it's a shock to people when they hear that there's this huge move right now that's putting their pension dollars at risk. Hmm. This kind of reminds me of a, a sort of a similar, almost um, uh, an analogical set of ideas, which is the conflict between 
shareholder capitalism and stakeholder capitalism. Is it, can you say something about that for us? Sure, sure. Well, it, it's just, it, it's a, a rebranding um, that the words sound similar. So I think it can be confusing to people when they start looking at this. But, you know, originally, once upon a time, your investments were about getting a return on your investment. Your, your pensions are about making sure you could retire. And, you know, that's the shareholder idea. You're making sure that those shareholders, you know, you're, you're, you're investing in a way that's profitable. It's good for business. It's good for retirees. You know, that, that's what you're doing. And this stakeholder approach is, is a new word that <laughs> it's deceptive because it sounds so similar to shareholder, but it's, it's very broad. And the idea is you're thinking about the world. You're thinking about everybody who's being impacted by the activities of this business. Uh, and, and that's the argument that, well, we're not really about returns. You know, we're about returns some, but we're also about making sure uh, the planet looks the way that we want it to, that certain social outcomes are happening the way we want it to. Um, and, and so it's very broad. It should be frightening to everybody because there aren't really limits in this. Uh, it's pretty much whatever somebody wants it to be. You know, if I'm somebody who can make a compelling argument that, uh, you know, if I support this particular industry, it's going to do this for the environment, then then you win. That's it. That, that's all that you need to show. Yeah. Um, so so again, it should be very simple. It should always be about good investment returns. That's what this is about. Right. And yet the thing is, as, as I read the New Testament, there's a lot of parables that are steward and trustee and fiduciary parables. It's a very common theme. Um, in the gospel parables, you have faithful stewards, you have the parable of the unfaithful steward uh, who doesn't manage things well for the owner, right? He has a fiduciary responsibility. He's too old to dig ditches. He's too ashamed to beg. Uh, and so he starts making side deals with other constituencies, other other stakeholders. Um, and what I see over and over again in the, in the um, financial parables is the responsibility to the owner to uh, to uh, manage for their benefit. Now, if you can't do that, then you quit, right? Like if, if, right. You, if you found yourself ethically compromised where you were called upon to do something that you morally disagree with um, in order to make, in, in order to get the best result for the shareholder, then a person of integrity says, well, I believe that we're causing global warming and it's going to destroy humanity. But I know that getting rid of these these energy companies will be bad for returns, so I can't do this job anymore, and you resign as a person of integrity. But to stay there and pretend that you're fiduciary when you're really serving other stakeholders, to me, is a pretty severe lack of integrity. Yes, and it's interesting, the scriptural component to it. Actually, as we've been talking today, I've been kind of thinking about that. But there's a lot about stewardship. There's a lot about fruit and what your returns are. Um, and uh, and I think that's a great that's a great analogy to make. Yeah, well, um, I, I mean, I think it goes back even to the Old Testament, the idea being that God gave the promised land, right, to, to leaders and then said, look, look, it's mine, you know, but you'll know, take good care of it. And um, and they did they engaged in self-dealing. And then Jesus come along and tells parables about that parables that they didn't they didn't like. <laughs> very much because it clashed with their idea of, I guess, social justice, I suppose. Well, and it all, it, yes. And it almost makes me think, too, of the scripture about serving two masters. Like, that's actually what's going on here. It is, isn't it? You, 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 can, you can't do both. You can't do social justice and shareholder returns at the same time. They conflict with one another. And if you try to, you're fooling yourself. 
and that it seems to me that that's what ESG is. It, it's about fooling yourself. It's about saying this really is for returns when nobody really seriously believes it's about returns. It's about social change. What they couldn't win at the ballot box, they try to win through the proxies. Uh, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And what's fascinating is that if we truly had shareholders voting, if they were truly engaged, uh, they wouldn't win that way either, because that is a de- democratic process, just like our actual democratic process in government. Um, and so they've just tried to be clever and try to figure out how to get these things done almost in secret. Um, and, and that's why it's so important right now that we're doing what we're doing. We're talking about it so people are aware. It, it's very secretive. Um, and the other thing is it's very difficult to vote these proxies. In other words, as, I, as I've studied this system, it's not designed to make it easy. I mean, it's it, the, I, th- I think I mentioned to you in a different conversation that roughly 20% of retail investors vote proxies. I don't believe that 20% of people who are investors are lazy. I think if you see otherwise diligent people only participating 20% of the time in the process, then that's a process that's designed to not let them participate in it. Um, And it's fascinating to see some of these companies say, oh, well, we're going to boycott Georgia because they have a voter ID law. Uh, And make it, I got to show this number and that number and log in with this thing and you have to get this paperwork. You have to do all these things. You have to get a letter of ownership from from your custodian. They make it really hard to vote. (laughs) <laughs> well, it actually, it's even worse. There are some portfolios, there's some like BlackRock portfolios that you cannot invest in unless you agree to give up your voting, you need to do proxy voting. So yes. sometimes you can't even be in the game unless you've already given that up. I, 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 that might be always. I don't know if you can be in an ETF or a mutual fund and keep the voting right to yourself. I, I think there are some that you can, but I think most of the time you cannot. I see it in direct indexing. In other words, you can go to your financial advisor and they can set up an SMA. Sorry to get too technical. So you, yes. you're recreating your own little S&P 500 yes. and then you can vote. Um, but when you're dealing with the funds, they, they do the voting. And what are they doing? They're delegating to the proxy services. And the proxy right. services are every bit as ideologically captured as BlackRock. If not more, and having reviewed last year, I would say the the ISSs of the world are more ideologically ca- captured than the Black Rocks of the world. I would believe that. I would believe that. And there's definitely a, um, a virtue signaling element to this where they're showing each other, look how good we're doing. But yes, and doing no good, but getting 42% higher fees. Yes. <laughs> yes. So so it may be financial as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there is something. There's a lot, again, back to the New Testament a little bit. There's this whole thing of, the whole purity, you know, the Pharisees loved money. So there's something about kind of <laughs> virtue signaling and monetizing the virtue signaling uh, that seems to be almost a universal in human life. It's there in the first century. It's here in the 21st century. And I guess, you know, the job is to speak out against it. Okay, we're almost out of time. Is there anything, Treasure Ball, that we didn't cover that uh, you, you'd like to talk about or something um, that's on your mind that you want to share with our listeners? Well, I would encourage people just to be very engaged in this issue because like we've talked about before, there are two approaches to this. One is divest, you know, get rid of it all, make a strong statement, tell BlackRock or whoever it is you're wanting to tell. uh, We don't want to do business with you anymore. And there's merit to that. And that is a a valid approach. But the other approach is to be very involved. And uh, and I really think this is the time for people who are who are conservatives, people who are people of faith, people who are Christians uh, to be very involved. Um, and, And I think. We need more of that too. We need people who are, um, you know, who are 
doing the investing, to be very vocal, speak up, uh, be successful so that we have a strong voice. And then we need people who are voting their shares, uh, being very present. So, so I would encourage people, there are multiple approaches to this. Both ways are ways just to, to make sure your voice is heard and there's accountability. And I would, I would encourage people um, to, to be very engaged, to be very involved. You know, I think we think it's already lost when the fight hasn't even started, really. I've, I've been at a couple of annual meetings with maybe like me and like one other person asking a few questions and two people in a, in a crowd of a hundred isn't two versus, it's not two versus 98. It's more like 50-50 because it's two sides of a debate. So you show up at an annual, I sat through the Disney meeting and it was all coming from one side. Uh, but when it's not all coming from one side, I've seen annual meetings shift in a certain direction uh, because just maybe one, two or three conservatives showed up and said, listen, AT&T, you're getting involved in a lot of issues that aren't core issues for you. Um, we really think you need to stop. How can you justify this? And the CEO say, you know, you're kind of right. You know, we should probably stick to regulatory policy and telecom. It doesn't. Truth plus one or two people is really powerful. So I feel like to some degree, conservatives feel like we've already lost this fight. When what I see is we forfeited this fight for the last 30 years by not showing up and decided in advance we'll lose when I think we can actually win most of these. Because the polling is that shareholders are more conservative than the population as a whole. The only thing is we didn't even know there was an election going on. We didn't show up and they did. And then we, uh, we, lo we, we lost by forfeit. Not in, not, we didn't go out there and leave it all out on the field. Absolutely right. And it's not too late. No. No. This is the beginning. Um, and ESG has gotten into bubble territory. They're way out over their skis. Uh, so I think they're very vulnerable. But it takes, it's, it takes a few, a few attorneys general, a few treasurers just to say, nope, we're not, we're not doing it. Uh, yes, we're going to get ridiculed. We're not participating in this. This isn't, we, we took oaths of office and have fiduciary responsibilities, and we're going to follow that come what may. And that's what you've done. And I salute you and the others in that community. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry. Great pleasure to have you. I'm Jerry Boyer. This has been Meeting of the Minds.